I um, mentioned in my prayer, and I don't really want to spend really any time talking about what happened in uh, Washington or what is happening in Washington this week. And uh, wherever you land politically or whoever you believe more, Dr. Ford or Judge Kavanaugh, uh, it's a troubling a troubling time and uh, difficult as things go from the personal to the political and back again. But it's made all of us really consider again questions about leadership, who's in leadership, who is in power, who has the power. Um, it raises questions about character and where that plays in, and it raises issues around gender politics. We ask questions about higher purposes and what's most important, but we can't help but think through what might be ulterior motives as well. And as things played out on Thursday for me, and I dialed into the testimony off and on all day, I ended up simply sad. I was sad, and I was confused. And so I continue to pray for our leaders and for wisdom. But it was also at the same time I was writing this sermon on leadership. I like God's timing sometimes, and sometimes it really makes me mad. But, um, <laughs> but as I reflect on that, it made me even more confident that we need the kind of leadership that Jesus talks about in the passage we just heard. <laughs> Servant leadership. Jesus brings uh, a different definition of leadership. Jesus brings a different approach. He brings a, a different perspective for the church and for the people of God, for the followers of Jesus, for those who lead. He speaks of, he models, he embodies what we call servant leadership. The last verse that Susan read from Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're in the fifth and final message in this series called Unite, or that we took from the Unite curriculum that came out of the experience many of our young people had at Chick, our youth conference this summer in Tennessee. We say this, the Unite curriculum says, United for peace for the world we are called to. And the first week we looked at, we're called to strengthen the church. And then the next week when we're outside, we talked about we are called to be and make disciples. And then thirdly, we're called to love mercy and do justice. And last week we had a wonderful time looking at how we're called to serve globally and we have different perspectives of relationships that we have as we as a church connect and serve globally. And today we look at this theme of being servant leaders. I played around with different definitions of servant leaders leaderships, usually the, the best way to find a definition is you type in your browser, servant leadership, and you wait for the option definition to come up, right? And, um, and, and there's a lot of them out there, but for some reason, um, uh, maybe I was feeling um, confused or a little too full of myself, but uh, I decided to come up with my own definition, and I'm not even going to put it on the screen because it's not really all that well worded. But I did it because I wanted to wrestle with it a little bit, and this is what I came up with. That leadership at first, leadership is really influence. Leadership is the influencing the connecting and coordinating of people, teams, and organizations towards fulfilling a common purpose or goal. So the leader influences, connects, coordinates people and teams and organizations towards fulfilling a common purpose or goal. And that can be done with a, a leader who exerts great power and control over those and sees those that she or he is leading as simply those that help get his or her agenda fulfilled. And so it can be with that, that, that influence, connecting, coordinating can come through power, control, and coercion, or it can come through that of encouraging and empowering, of looking at the gifts on his or her team and what can be brought together and collaborating together that we can move together towards a common purpose or goal. Servant leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is doing that. It's doing that, motivated by a deep love of God to partner with God in, to fulfill his purposes in the world. 
If that's not satisfying Google servant leadership definition, and I'm sure there's much more brilliant definitions out there, but that's kind of what we want to look at, that servant leadership is influencing, connecting, coordinating to people, teams, organizations toward fulfilling not just a common purpose, but uh, fulfilling, uh, <laughs> approaching and fulfilling the purposes of God in the world. So here, here's where I'm going. Now, this I did write down and on this screen. Jesus is calling the church to come together, raising up and equipping servant leaders so that we might be unified in pursuing God's purposes for the world. Pursuing God's purposes for the world or pursuing the priorities of Christ. We'll look, first of all, at the leaders, servant leader standard here in this text that is not like the world. Secondly, we'll look at the servant leader's attitude and we'll dip back into Philippians chapter 2 where it says, have, this, have the mind of Christ or have this attitude which was also in Jesus. And then we'll look at the servant leader's action uh, that needs to be rooted and grounded in love. Today's scripture is really a, a key New Testament text about who Jesus is. When we try to develop a theology of, of Jesus, um, this is one of the texts we go to where he, or, or when we want to develop a, a theology of the cross, for example, and, and what happened there. Jesus uses the word ransom here, and he uses the word of being a servant. And so this really establishes who Christ is. And when Jesus says that I am a servant here, it echoes back to those, uh, what were confusing to people in Old Testament times. But when you go back into Isaiah, and it speaks of the suffering servant, the one who would be pierced for our transgressions. Uh, uh, The Old Testament people weren't sure what to do with that. And in a sense, when Jesus says, I am the servant and I will give my life as a ransom, that was the servant leader of Isaiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 58. And so Jesus says then, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's about Jesus, but in this text, it is actually the illustration of what he is teaching them. Jesus actually here is teaching them about his disciples, about being servants and being leaders. And he he defines the standard for greatness, and it is servanthood, which seem to be uh, in opposition to each other. But for Jesus, and in Jesus, they come together. The teaching here rolls out a little bit like, like, let's make a deal. Now, here I go again. This is back to an old, old show in the 70s, but actually it was revived about 10 years ago, and it has some similarities to a current show, which I learned from Howie Mandel on America's Got Talent, just when I dropped in for just a minute, that it's coming back again, uh, you know, uh, Deal or No Deal. Okay, that's the new one, right? Deal or No Deal, maybe you've seen that, maybe you haven't. And on Deal or No Deal, you pick from one of 26 suitcases held by uh, uh, an attractive woman. It's okay to say attractive woman? It wasn't okay in the hearings last week. But anyway, uh, they are. So uh, uh, this is the decision uh, uh, that's made. Let's make a deal was much simpler. Life is much more complicated now. You have 26 choices. Then you only had three choices back in the 70s. That's all I'm saying. And you had these three doors. You answered questions and you got a chance to pick your prize package that was behind uh, one of these doors. And the doors were very cleverly named door one, door two, and door three. Yeah. Now, Jesus is not making a deal with the disciples. But he does, in a sense, in this text, offer three options for greatness. Now, in this passage, you may have heard this before, but it's where the disciples, James and John, come and say, you know, Jesus, could we have really, could we have positions of authority in the kingdom? Uh, and in Matthew's version, it's actually uh, their mom says, could my boys, my boys are gifted, uh, and could my boys have a, a place of prominence in your kingdom? And so uh, this request has come from, uh, from the, the James and John, part of the, the inner three. And, um, and so what Jesus says back to them uh, uh, is kind of what rolls out here. What James and John are asking is really behind door number one. Door number one is rank, okay, rank. 
They're asking for a high rank. They're asking for the right to be on the right hand of Jesus, and it's a place of privilege for them and of high rank. They want to be seen as more special. They want to be seen as more important than others. They want a special place and special privileges and want to be recognized. And we, we have this basic innate need. We have this desire to, to rank ourselves. It's part of the, the drive of, of ambition. And it, it's a little bit of an indicator that we're sort of getting along and, and moving forward. And so to some degree, it's not such a bad thing. But there's places that we just sort of, we lock into it. I mean, who hasn't gotten a piece of mail and said, you're not platinum anymore, you're a gold card member, you know? I, you know, when I'm at the airport and I'm getting a plane that says, our platinum members maybe get on the plane now, you're going, that's great. I'm in group number one. And then you find out that group number one is really group number five because they take the people that need assistance and that whatever. But, you know, we, we do things like that, you know? And, and, and or, or, you know, I got a group one. Or if you're on Southwest, I got an A. You know what? There's enough seats, and the plane doesn't leave till everybody's on it. So who cares what your rank is? But we get all excited about that, right? Anyway, I know it's the overhead storage and all that kind of stuff. Rank is important to us. It's what was behind door number one, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't say no to them. He doesn't rebuke them. He kind of even says a maybe. He says, but more importantly says, well, yeah, maybe, but are you willing to drink the cup and go through the baptism I am. Are you willing to suffer is what he's asking them. And of course they say, oh yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do whatever. They don't realize the gravity of what he's saying. He's saying, well, actually you will suffer and you will go through the baptism. But then he diverts and he says, really, this isn't the issue. It's really not the rank or the suffering. It's my father, God the Father, who grants places in the kingdom. Well, then the story reports that the other disciples get indignant Because, see, they have this figured out, and they really realize that it's wrong to seek a higher rank. That They really have learned this question of servant leadership, and they're really upset that these two friends of theirs don't get it. No! They wanted to be picked! They're mad that James and John thought of it first. They're just jealous. And so Jesus presents then really kind of door number two, which is not rank as much as it is power. And again, Jesus doesn't rebuke, but he sees what is, we would call, a teachable moment. He calls attention to the world values that they see around them, not only of rank and status, but also of power. In verse 42, he says this, So Jesus called them together and said, You know what the rulers in this world, that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Zing. You know what it looks like in this world. You are suffering. This is what you are so weary of, of the Roman oppression right now, and even the oppression that you receive from some of your own, quote-unquote, religious leaders, functioning by the values of the world. You know what it's like, you guys. And then verse 43, he goes on, he says, but among you, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. You are not like the world as my followers. I am here to turn this whole value, power, rank thing upside down. I am here, Jesus says, to reverse the world's values where the first will be last and the last will be first. And here it is then, guys, door number three is servanthood. Now, the word for servant in Greek is the same word as used for slave. 
This isn't necessarily tucks with white towel over his arm, Downton Abbey's servant, okay? This is serving perhaps even at the level of a slave. It's the same Greek word. And it gets used in the New Testament then to speak in a more positive way of serving and giving others. The deacons are those who serve in this kind of way. But this is the word that Jesus is using of serving God by serving others, of giving yourself. And Jesus said, this is the greatness fulfillment to serve like this. Living like God intending, working with others to pursue the purpose of God for the world with a heart for service and care for one another. And Jesus, the teacher, does not leave the lesson right here, but he gives an illustration. He gives an application. And basically he says, me. I'm the story. I'm the standard. I am the model servant for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus totally had door number one and door number two available to him, didn't he? He had the rank, uh, son of God. It's kind of high rank. (laughs) Son of God is kind of a powerful position to have as well. But Jesus Jesus says, I choose. This is the way this is going to work, guys. I choose door number three. He had the rank and the power, but they were not for himself. They were for the people that he came to love, to save and to set free. And of course, his rank and power meant a tremendous amount in terms of pursuing God's purposes. But as he's teaching his followers about leadership, he says, door number three. I'm door number three. I am the real prize package you're looking for here. Servanthood then is the standard Uh, Jesus sets it here. And later in his letter to the Philippians, Paul holds Jesus' servant up to the standard too, looking to, uh, secondly here, the servant leader's attitude, just like Jesus. This is that attitude of others first. It's where, where Jesus said, or where Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who took on the very nature of a servant. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Door number one, door number two. He didn't cling to door number one, door number two. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This then, like the Mark 10 passage, is a key New Testament passage on the person of Christ. We learn a lot. Theologians spend a lot of time with Philippians 2 when they discern who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But also like the Mark passage, it is illustrating a basic teaching to the church. This isn't just so that we can develop a theology of the person of Christ. In all of this, it's teaching the church. And saying, in a sense, unity is essential if you're going to impact the world for Christ. And for that, you must have an attitude of humility. Kind of like Jesus. And then these great theological words. But the point of the story is to the church in Philippi, and likely the church in Naperville. We actually have to see the preceding verses in Philippians 2 to 3 that says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, and then have this attitude, others first, others first. The servant leader is to have an attitude of servanthood, the standard set in Jesus. Not just kind actions, not just service projects that make me feel good about myself, maybe even make me feel I'm better than others for great service I'm giving, the great sacrifices I'm making, and oops, all of a sudden our service kind of kicks us to door number one and we're looking at being recognized for how good we are. (laughs) That's not it. We've got to cultivate humility. Over and over again, Christ-likeness, others first. 
Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but the leader still has to lead, right? Yes. Yes, the leader still has to lead. The leader must lead. They aren't just Mr. Nice or Madam Humble. The leader needs to be continually assessing the situation, continually communicating, which is both listening and speaking. Listening first. The leader has to continually be coordinating, summarizing, envisioning, looking at things, prioritizing what's important and what it isn't, and checking those results with others in hers or his sphere and the people that they're working with. The leader must lead and bring decisive action, but this is not all on his or her own. She must be listening to God through the word, in prayer, and as God speaks through others. And he must be setting direction based on that. Leadership is so vitally important in the church today. Strong leadership. Leadership is one of those things that is both gifted and skilled. There are some who simply have gifts for leadership. We did the Shape series last winter, and uh, and several of you filled out a spiritual gifts uh, study on that. And we did it at the executive board level. And as we shared, all all six of us, it was surprising. We all ended up, one of us, we all had the gift of leadership somewhere in the mix. Leadership is is a gift. Some, it's their first gift. Others, it comes in other, other places. But leadership is also some skills that can be learned. There are several reluctant leaders. I know one really well. I've lived with them all my life, who, who, who I, I, I came to leadership a little bit reluctantly. I, I, I was, I've been a pastor a long time. In the good old days, a pastor just showed up, preached a sermon, and visited people all week. And leadership wasn't even a question that we asked. You just, you follow God, you preach the word, you visit people and take care of the church. And maybe that's all we should be doing. But along the way, more and more necessity in terms of leading the modern church took some leadership. And so reluctantly I accepted that. And then I learned skills. So leaders also need to learn skills to order to do this process of coordinating, communicating, empowering, prioritizing, all of that. So whoever you are, if gift is number one, or if you're one of those people like, you know what happens sometimes when you walk into the kitchen and in a, in a, when we have an event going on here at church, you go, where should I put this? And 12 people go, I'm not in charge. Okay, so if you're, maybe you're one of those people <laughs> um, and thinking leadership is the farthest thing from my imagination. Or in some small areas, you're called to lead a few people or an initiative of the church, whatever it is. Whether you're running a church, running a huge organization, whatever it is, all, all of it for followers of Christ comes and should be done with a Christ-like humility. An others first orientation. Resulting in actions that will move God's people in the direction of God's purposes. Moving God's people in the direction of God's purposes. And all of that to be grounded in love. The servant's action, the servant's leadership grounded in love. Catherine Gilliard is the new superintendent. We have nine conferences in the coming, ten conferences uh, spread out across the U.S. and Canada. We're in the Central Conference, as was mentioned. Danny Martinez is our superintendent. But Catherine is the new superintendent of the Southeast Conference, which is uh, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, Alabama, Mississippi. Uh, she is the first African-American female superintendent, and uh, Catherine's just a, uh, an excellent and outstanding servant leader. She wrote some of the portions of this material for the Unite series, and she says this. She says, as we make disciples, as we love mercy and do justice and serve globally, Jesus calls us to do so as servant leaders. 
Jesus, the ultimate servant leader, gives this command both to those that followed him and also to those who were not yet followers. This scandalous love is at the heart of servant leadership. As the world becomes increasingly complex, increasingly post-Christian, and numb to the things of God, Jesus' followers are called to display a radical love, a grace-filled, patient, and deeply caring love to others. We must love each other as Christ has loved us. Servant leadership means a radical, unconditional love for others. It is not something we do. It is who we are as a new creation people. She says this scandalous love is at the heart of servant leadership. Scandalous? It's like singing reckless in a song. Can we say that about God's love? Scandalous and reckless? Yes, we can. It's scandalous because it's scandalous love to the point of sacrifice and giving one's life. That's what Jesus did. Serving and loving the neediest, serving and loving and caring for the most marginalized, even the most difficult in our midst, is scandalous love, grace-filled love. Instead of serving leaders, Jesus says, serve others in love. Jesus turns it upside down by the love of God. Pastor Gilliard says again, she goes on and says, true leaders are devoted to service that focuses on the needs and personal growth of others. Let me get that again. True leaders are devoted to service that focuses on the needs and personal growth of others. The disciples needed to recognize that kingdom leadership is not about climbing the ladder, but about serving those whom society tries to keep at the bottom. Scandalous love. The call to us in the church then is to be identifying, following, and praying for servant leaders, both in paid staff roles as well as in lay leadership roles. Not in this church, but in all the church. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, where my wife Megan is this morning. She's in uh, Dallas. It's been there since Wednesday. She participated in a leadership conference on, on, uh, on Thursday. And then uh, Friday night and all day yesterday, she and seven other covenanters were part of a conference called Liberate. Uh, it was the international, some of you know the International Justice Mission. Gary Haugen pulled together the International Justice Mission, which is uh, fights human trafficking worldwide and slavery worldwide. And this is one of their first big, there's 5,000 people at the Dr. Pepper Arena up in, uh, I think in Frisco, just north of Dallas. And uh, incredible speakers and a conference all around the issues of what's happening in terms of addressing the problems of human trafficking in the world that I mentioned a couple weeks ago in my message. And uh, today, right now, they are worshiping uh, at a covenant church in DeSoto, Texas, which is a suburb, uh, pastor by Pastor Joseph Rashid. And uh, the eight of them are worshiping, and all afternoon, they are going to be processing what they learned yesterday at Liberate and making decisions about what the covenant now will do in terms of providing resources and action steps as we renew our efforts to address human trafficking. There was an effort several years ago that raised money and made some difference. This is a new effort. And uh, you can pray for Megan right now. She is the facilitator of that. She's not the leader of the whole thing, but she's been asked uh, by the director, Serve Globally, to be the facilitator. She's the one that needs to communicate, listen, summarize, communicate, coordinate, and help this team get to a place of pursuing God's justice purposes for the world. It is wrong that over 4 million people are enslaved and being trafficked around the world and even in our own country. And so Megan is providing that kind of leadership. And let me tell you, she was not really excited about getting that rank or that power. (laughs) It was scary to know that she would lead this, but she's prayed up and she's ready to serve the purposes of God. We have good leadership in our church. Kathy Bittner will display that great leadership when she reads six names in a few moments for us to affirm. It's going to be a tough job, Kathy, but I think you do it. And I'm just kidding a little bit. This is the fun part. Kathy's providing strong and confident leadership for our church. 
She gets this idea of servant leadership. She's not afraid of coming on strong and speaking boldly about things, but she listens to people and she is absolutely focused on listening to God for his purposes and plans for our church. And it reflects in the rest of our executive board as well. People who love God, who people who do not come with a personal agenda, but want the very best for our church as we pursue the purposes of God. I'm grateful for Kurt to be willing to step into this role as leading the search committee. This is a huge responsibility and a big task and time commitment for all the people in the committee, especially for Kurt. He has a busy family and, uh, and job. Uh, Kurt has, has learned some gifts and skills. He's chaired the Swedish Covenant Hospital Foundation. But this is a different kind of role. And so we pray for Kurt in terms of the servant leader role in all of the people on our search team. I'm praying regularly for them, that each of them, that their hearts and that their spiritual life will deepen in this season as they trust God and that there will be a unity for them and for us around God's plans and purposes for our church. Back to Let's Make a Deal. Some of you remember the old one. People would show up in these goofy contest costumes and jump up and down wanting to be picked. What would motivate someone to dress up in a goofy costume and, and jump up and down? Well, of course what motivates them is the prizes. Because what was behind door number one, two, and three were trips to Hawaii, Chevy Malibus, and Broyhill bedroom sets. Remember that? Oh, please and please be behind the door that I pick. For us, what motivates us? We bow sometimes to this issue of rank. We sometimes find ourselves in a privileged position and don't even realize it, and we, we, we gravitate towards that. And too often what happens inside of us, what we're looking for is our own personal comfort, our own satisfaction. I find that even as I read all these politically charged things on Facebook, I just want something that's makes, that, that, that I agree with, not just to validate me, but just because I feel so bad sometimes when I read this stuff. Sometimes all we want to do is feel good. And sometimes we really want the power to change things, to change somebody's mind. It happens every day on Facebook. You post one thing, you change a world's mind, right? Wrong. But something feels powerful about send. We're drawn to door one and two too often. I want to pick door three. I want to keep picking door three, servanthood. And I want to ask the Spirit of God to empower me, to empower this church, to energize me, to energize you, to motivate us as servants of God to connect and grow in here so that we make a difference out there. Together motivated by the purposes of God and the priorities of Jesus. Which door will you pick? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, forgive me for clamoring sometimes to door number one and two. I've been to Hawaii. I don't need a Malibu, and I've got a beautiful bedroom set already. But I do want a servant's heart, Lord, and I just long for it for myself and for us as a church, that in that there's power as we pursue you and you alone. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.